Welcome everyone to another episode of One of Two Hundred. This is Michael Machitich. I'm your co-host, along with my only one other co-host today, Carl Church. How are you going, Carl? Yeah, good. It's a uh, looking out the window, uh, sunny-ish day here in Auckland. What's it like uh, over wherever you are at this point? I'm at the moment in uh, in Connecticut, beautiful Connecticut, uh, <laughs> the state with one of the worst levels of inequality in the entire United States. Uh, it is it's dusk right now, so it's not, um, not, not, uh, not sunny. It's not as maybe picturesque, but yeah, there's some beautiful parts here. It's very, very, uh, very wooden, woody and, and, and very kind of lush. So that's very nice. Um, shall we stop describing what's outside my window <laughs> and, and get into the show? Uh, the thing that people actually yeah. tuned into. A bit of a whirlwind, I think, this week. Uh, lots of stuff that we'll try and touch on and cover briefly. Yeah, that's right. Um, I guess uh, beginning with a, a very sad death, uh, you know, one of the great actors on the world stage uh, t- uh today very shocking um you know we, we've all seen him in different things uh over the years um really reinvented himself as well um i am of course uh talking about james khan uh no uh, uh james khan is all of those things and he was a wonderful actor and he did die but no in, in reality i'm talking about uh japanese prime minister former prime minister shinzo abe who uh, died today t- uh, to a very strangely um, warm and kind of uh, lionizing reception, at least you know from what I was seeing in the in the kind of American and, and, and British press. He was a he was an ally of Western regimes, uh, as, like <laughs> as far as like anything else goes, yeah. um, and he had a lot of really good uh, coverage and PR. Um, you know, even out here in New Zealand, um, doing things like winning Tokyo uh, 2020 um, for the Olympics and, and like appearing as Mario, uh, you know, doing, doing those kind of media stunts. The, the stuff that matters, the stuff that really... But the stuff that matters, like yeah. for Westerners viewing Asian countries, um, you know, more, more often than not. Um, I like politics aside, because I, I'm very opposed to like a lot of his domestic stuff. Um, and obviously anyone who's working closely with the United States government is like not in my good books either. Um, it's just a, a bizarre situation. Um, it's not, you know, guns are more strictly um, controlled in Japan than almost any country in the world. And well, we don't know the full details uh, of us at, uh, at the moment as to what the the motives were, but the the person who murdered him uh, just made their own guns. See, I didn't know that. I mean, you know, regardless, you know, whether you ban guns or not, gun violence is, is going to exist. You, you know, it's uh, the point isn't to eradicate entirely. Although, obviously, we want to aim for that and we want to get as close as we can possibly can to, to doing that but uh it's more to you know in the u.s for instance um you, you're still going to get gun violence if you actually put in place the kind of measures that new zealand took or australia took all those years ago um but you wouldn't just get every week i mean it's not funny but every weekend you know three four uh mass shootings um and and just the same way you're not going to eliminate 
assassination attempts at leaders. I have no idea what what motivated this particular person. I'm not sure if it's been reported yet. I haven't I haven't read up on it. Um, when I saw in the morning, it was still a bit of a mystery. So it'll be interesting to to I guess find out what is going on here. Whether there's actually something um, political uh, uh, that's driving this or that drove this, or whether simply uh, this was someone who was mentally ill and who uh, yeah, managed to uh, uh, fix up a gun and kill him. Um, but but as I said at the beginning, what's most interesting to me is how Abe has been now uh, kind of turned into this. Uh, well, he's been martyred in a, in a very classic sense um, in in death. Uh, as often happens with, with public figures, has, he, he's being whitewashed, but whitewashed to such a degree that it's pretty astounding. I mean, the guy was an ultra-nationalist. He, he, he was not a friend to women. Uh, women's lot did not improve remotely, uh, uh, or at least very much, when he was prime minister. Uh, 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 he, you know, uh, even on symbolic level, I think he, he only appointed one woman to his cabinet. He didn't even, you know, uh, uh, go for the kind of gender parity that a lot of neoliberal leaders did. Um, and, you know, yet Hillary Clinton's out here saying he was a friend to, to women in Japan. You know, you've got David Frum in the Atlantic talking about how Abe um, saved the West or, or something along those lines. And, and I think what it is, is you're completely correct, Kyle. Abe, uh, as someone who was a hawk, um, you know, he wanted to get rid of the, the sort of pacifism that was central to, to Japanese um, foreign policy. Uh, or at least a military posture. Um, he he uh, uh, did his job well, which is he, he served very much the interests of um, of the United States of, the, of Washington, rather. Um, and so I think that's that's a lot of the reason why he's being kind of treated as this incredible man. Um, although it does, you know, you, you remember back when Trump was elected, he did that handshake with Abe. It was a similar thing when when Trump tried to yank his hand out of his. Uh, out of his jacket, people uh, started talking, you know, who obviously had no idea who he was before, uh, started kind of, you know, saying all this complimentary stuff. So I think there's, there's some of that as well. People just kind of, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of reporters are not necessarily that um, knowledgeable about the world, you know, beyond just uh, their immediate borders. I hate to say it, I really hate to say it, but I think they're just not as, as interested or knowledgeable about that stuff. I think the, the interesting uh, thing going into the next couple of weeks is what the response because uh, he was he was shot during campaigning um, for for Japanese elections and it'll be interesting to see what the response um, for Japan is domestically uh, whether there's a security response um, this is this is, does seem to be what you call a, a lone wolf um, shooter this this dude just sat in his apartment and made some guns um, to get around the security um, that already existed. Uh, and assassinate a political leader. Uh, I, unless more comes out, yeah, I'm, I, I'm not sure what how they can even respond to this. Uh, like, other than going well, like full um, security state, um, or saying, "Wow, that sucked." Well, uh, one way could be uh, uh, less doors or more doors. I guess in this case, I think it was killed uh, outside, right? So uh, you know, door, a door-based policy. This is really going to be maybe a, a gift to the uh, door industrial complex. Uh, you know, the, if anyone doesn't know what I'm talking about, uh, this is this is the idiotic uh, solution that was offered in in the United States by Republicans in response to the Avalde shooting, uh, which is to you know if if the schools only had one door, um, that that's what would have stopped the shooter. Um, a, a really great thinking because of course you definitely want to be stuck in a place with one 
one way in, one way out when a guy with a gun is wandering the halls. Uh, okay, but moving on from a, a leader uh, who is dead to a leader whose uh, political career is about to be dead, uh, Boris Johnson has resigned in the UK. I, you know, I'll be honest with you, I have not followed UK politics super closely for the past three years because it's just seemed like uh, a bit of an irradiated dead zone, uh, uh, just absolutely depressing and barren um i'll keep my eye on it but but not in full detail uh you know it to me johnson was having having just scandal after scandal after scandal after scandal uh constantly you know and uh i can't name you all of them but i don't think all... anyone could no there's so many there's so many and and you know there are degrees of 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 uh severity to all of them but they were all pretty embarrassing if not outright scandalous of course the ones that were worse you know involving public corruption like handing out contracts during covid those never got as much attention as um as some of the more personal stuff but still i mean what do you think what is it about this particular thing that uh it precipitated his resignation compared to all those other scandals is it just the fact that this is now you know the, the straw that broke the camel's back just enough had piled on that that uh eventually it, it things had to collapse or is there something else about this particular crisis this particular moment that has caused us to happen to, yeah. to, to happen so earlier in the year uh we had coverage increasing about what johnson got up to uh, you know and other members of his party during covid restrictions uh so having parties um right basically breaking the the rules that they put in place the laws they put in place uh where Members of the just UK like public. the common man, just like the common man, Kyle. We all break <laughs> a few rules every now and then. Well, this is the thing. It was put in direct contrast with the common man in, in the UK who uh, hadn't been out for for a year, who, like, who had had to miss funerals, miss weddings, miss the, the births of their grandchildren. Uh, here's Boris Johnson sipping wine uh, at, a, at a party. And... I think the establishment always knew that Boris Johnson was a fucking disaster, but they thought it was one that was expedient. They thought he was a, a horrible, disgusting, useless man uh, that would allow them to do things like push through Brexit, uh, get stronger control of, of a range of institutions. But it just... It just kept getting worse and worse. And that level of inadequacy had always existed from, from since like the election campaign. Every, everyone knew that. But with some of these optics starting to turn against him, you saw the media establishment start to do the same. Uh, alongside that, you had the Labour opposition uh, leader, Keir Starmer, taking a more establishment-friendly stance, uh, actively beginning to slough off the promises he had made the uh, the membership of the Labour Party to follow through with some of uh, the Corbyn years manifesto pledges. And suddenly it was a situation where Labour started ticking up in the polls and the establishment began to see Johnson as a liability. And even that wasn't enough. So that was earlier in the year. Uh, and Johnson was still hanging on. And I think it was predominantly because the, 
his political caucus were all fucking cowards. None of them were willing to challenge him because they didn't, they couldn't put the numbers together. Uh, they know that Johnson is vindictive and horrible. He he just gets rid of people at the drop of the hat. He's released footage um, of his MPs to like create scandals uh, in the in the media to sink their careers. They were all just scared of taking a crack uh, and and losing uh, and and not being able to roll him. And at some point in the last couple of weeks, uh, either under uh, Javid or Sunak or both, uh, you know, two of the the top uh, conservative MPs under Johnson um, held a range of positions. Um, have either agreed to work together to put um, to get enough votes to to roll him effectively, um, and that's just finally aligned, and so now he's gone. And it, you know, this is why I I too just we we haven't been speaking about the UK a lot on here because it's fucking dumb. And it's just like it's just this rolling mall of stupid shit that's been happening since the Corbyn years. Um, when the media became more uh, malicious than we've probably ever seen towards a, a political candidate. And it didn't mean anything. It's, it's, it's all meaningless. It's just about which members uh, of institutional leadership decide to take a step. I, I don't think there's anything more to it than that. It's just, it's just 12 years of garbage. Well, certainly uh, during what they've done now, uh, you know, what they still have two years, right, to basically write the ship. They, they put in a new leader, they, they hit reset. I mean, they tried to do that with, uh, with, with May, Theresa May, didn't quite work out. Um, and, uh, but we'll see, that doesn't necessarily mean that this attempt is going to fall through either. I mean, at the moment, Kirsten is way, way up in the polls, um, which by the way, I mean, there's actually a very interesting parallel here. With, with Biden in the US, uh, where, you know, if you, if you sort of consider Johnson the, the Trump of, of the UK, uh, Starmer has been given, the, you know, completely not of his own doing at all. I mean, he was absolutely floundering uh, as leader and also in the polls for a very long time. There was a brief window where he was doing okay, I believe, but but he's been he's been on the downtrend for, for a while now. Um, and uh, not someone with any particular amount of confidence in him to, to be the prime minister. And yet now this opportunity has just fallen into his lap completely by accident. Uh, that does not necessarily mean, again, that he's going to actually be able to capitalize it, uh, on it. But, uh, you know, this is this is his best chance. Yeah. Uh, and, and look, even even then, um, with all these things aligned a- against uh, Boris Johnson as prime minister, he's still prime minister. You know, like people are calling for a caretaker prime minister to be installed. He said, no, I'm caretaker prime minister. I'm stepping down as leader of the Conservative Party. We'll have a leadership election and then that person will become prime minister. And I like, I don't. He's, he's definitely up to something. He's a horrible little freak. He, yeah, he, he's going to try yeah. and pull something. Like he's yeah. a, he's probably as close to an out and out um fascist mindset in terms of uh pulling power towards him um and and doing anything um to do it like out of pure selfishness and ego uh rather than any um 
kind of ideal of a, a fascist state, fortunately for, for everyone. Um, but I, I can't see him making a, like just give it, giving it up. Uh, and by, by all accounts, his, his resignation speech and et cetera were very ill-tempered. Um, There's the brakes. Yeah, he's got, like, you're going to see a whole bunch of stuff come out about a whole bunch of Tory MPs. Um, there's a chance that he just, like, flips the table and triggers an early election. I, it's, it's, you can't guess at it. It's, it's beyond me. Yeah, I, I would just add, uh, uh, lastly for me, before we move on, you know, I think it's worth remembering that uh, Johnson's whole clownish persona um, it's that's kind of the thing that people most think of he's kind of a joke and silly and kind of a goofball and an idiot um and he is to an extent but but that turns into a figure of fun um which is kind of what he wants he wants to be kind of seen as the gist and the thing is he is a nasty man and i and i say that very deliberately he is a nasty nasty person a mean-spirited awful awful man uh who was a vicious cruel little pig since the day that he, since he was a, a, a teenager you know going to Eton and and uh you know uh, uh, with a silver spoon in his mouth he's always been an awful awful person so don't treat him as a figure of fun and certainly do not feel bad for him um you know there's <laughs> you know i don't know what people out there uh, how they perceive him but that that's definitely unwarranted. yeah one, one of the yeah. really interesting things um as Cabinet uh, Minister after Cabinet Minister has resigned, uh, just making his position as uh, Prime Minister untenable, is the number of them who are still couching because they, and it's very clear they fear some form of retribution. So they go, oh, it's just, it's not possible for him to um, remain. He's done such a fantastic job <laughs> getting Brexit through. And terms like he's been a lion in Ukraine and just like get <laughs> fucked, like, yeah. You're resigning. You're trying to get rid of them. Get they just pull the boot out of your mouth. Let, let me remind everyone, by the way, what Johnson's uh, legacy in Ukraine is. In April, when there was progress between uh, in talks between Russia and Ukraine, in Turkey, who acted as a as a, as a mediator, uh, and there was actually the stage was set for Zelensky and Putin to talk directly and and hopefully bring the war to a close at a time when actually. Uh, things were a lot better for Ukraine militarily. Uh, uh, Johnson flew to Kiev, met with Zelensky, and reported, this is according to the, the Ukrainska Pravda, which is a, a very pro-Western, you know, uh, uh, establishment newspaper in, in Ukraine. Uh, according to them, uh, Johnson said, whatever you agree to or sign with Putin, we're not going to recognize it. And rather than negotiating with them, we have to, it turns out actually Putin has shown he's a lot weaker than we thought. And now is the time to press him. As in, if we just keep going with the war, he will lose. And, you know, you might be able to get your land back. I mean, that, that's not what he said, but but that's kind of the, the, um, the, the implication. Uh, what's happened since then? I mean, Ukraine, the, the, the military ties completely turned against Ukraine because uh, of a variety of reasons. But uh, Russia is now uh, uh, attacking them even more indiscriminately than they were before. You know, really uh, laying on some of the, the heavy artillery, and, and uh, Ukraine has lost a lot of land. There are, if you believe some of the Ukrainian uh, 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 officials' words, 
you know, many, many, many thousands have, have, of soldiers have died since then. So congratulations. This is, this is Johnson's uh, bloody legacy in Ukraine. Um, one last thing I'll say about Boris Johnson, you know, it really, uh, we're talking about how, how scandal prone he is. I mean, the, the amount of scandals he's had just as prime minister, but even before then, I mean, my God, his entire life and career as just one rolling parchment of scandals and embarrassments. Yeah, everyone knew, uh, everyone knew. Everyone knew. And and the thing is, if you were someone, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm never going to stop being bitter about this. Jeremy Corbyn, who is a just preternaturally decent man, literally a lifelong anti-racist who organized against the National Front in, uh, in London, who um, fought against one of the people who would accuse him of being anti-Semite to stop uh, a Jewish cemetery being paved over so they could build a, a, a bunch of apartment buildings. Uh, they turned him into a basically the second Hitler. Uh, they made everyone believe that he was a vicious anti-Semite. I mean, it was one of the most just disgusting, brazen campaign of lies I've ever seen. Meanwhile, Boris Johnson can say all the things he's said and do all the things he's done. And look at that. It, it hasn't, it has never slowed his political. He's just, he's just a goofball. It's just because he's a goofball. You can do anything you want, as long as you say, as long as you are friendly with the establishment and and don't challenge them and that's ultimately why he got a free pass again and again and again and again and again and while we're still in london uh so ardern and uh luxon have, have both been in the uk over the last couple of weeks um ardern has been doing the europe trip uh just managing to secure deal after deal um, we talked about this last week um, it has continued that no one has been able to do for decades. Um, while she was meeting with Johnson there, uh, a thoroughly um, disgusting experience, I imagine. She still managed to uh, extend uh, visas for New Zealanders in the UK, which and, and, is and fantastic. Down, and then bring down the British government. Uh, and yeah, not, not bad for a, a pretty short trip, I think. Incredible. And... Luxon, meanwhile, uh, he's, he's winged into London. He's doing uh, what's been called a fact-finding trip uh, across here. He, he was he's in... finding out where the UK is, <laughs> where it is in relation to France. Uh, no, I'm, I'm joking. He's, he's trying to find policies about how, how to do stuff in New Zealand better, um, particularly in the UK with education, which is a, <laughs> anyone who knows anything about education in the UK uh, will know as a fucking joke. Uh, I, but... I could have saved him a trip. Uh, don't do charter schools. <laughs> Pretty easy. Uh, <laughs> let's not make an Eton in New Zealand. How about that? Um, but one of the other things he's doing is uh, talking in front of right-wing think tanks. Uh, and the the big news uh, in New Zealand this week uh, for Luxon has been I, almost like a, a celebration of the fact that he's doing this. Uh, it, and I, I say celebration, but it's been pretty neutral language, really. But it's just bizarre to me that we have an opposition, ostensibly centrist uh, politician speaking in front of a right-wing uh, think tank. That's not called into question at all. Saying New Zealand businesses are soft, um, which, you know, if any activist or, or Labour politician had, had made any mention of, of that kind of terminology would have been skewered. Um, and 
dunking on New mean? Zealand's COVID response, which everyone else in the world holds up as like a gold standard. Mm. It's just incredible. What does that even mean that the New Zealand business is soft? I don't, I don't they're not. Understand. They're not going after the government enough, and they're expecting the government to fix things for them. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. Look, uh, in some sense, yeah. I mean, you know, if they wanted to be like uh, business in Latin America, they could just sort of do a capital strike, of course, and <laughs> completely uh, bring down the government. Yeah. So, so I mean, it's it, if Luxon is is outing himself as kind of like trying to foment a sort of business coup. Uh, yeah, you're correct. Uh, it, this is not like. New Zealand is not Pinochet, uh, or rather Allende's Chile, yeah. uh, just before Pinochet rolled in with the tanks. So, uh, which I think is a good thing. <laughs> right, like bizarre, like that is probably stronger language than, you know, we're thinking about people like maybe Mike Joy, you know, an environmentalist who says New Zealand agriculture is destroying our environment and was raked over the coals, and still, still is uh, by some people, as being some kind of... Um, traitor or environmental terrorist uh for for saying that we should like take climate seriously um and and that was a a hallmark of the key years um was people speaking out against the way that we were doing business uh and just being slaughtered for weeks in the media meanwhile it we've talked about the like recent turn um among among media in New Zealand towards just backing up right-wing um, viewpoints. And this is really similar to that. Well, you know, he's an ally of business. And so he has a little more leeway in the kind of things he can say. You know, I think this is how it works. Uh, Luxon goes over there. He says that the, the press goes, wow, that's a bit of a juicy quote. They go to, you know, one of the many business uh, 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 organizations, business, uh, you know, groups out there to get their comment on what he said. Uh, of course, these guys all support national. They, they want national power because ultimately they know that when national's in power, they will do, maybe not say what they want them to, but they'll suddenly do what they want them to do. And so they'll probably say, well, no comment. Or they'll say, uh, yeah, here, let me give you a comment that's completely anodyne and doesn't really criticize them at all. Because ultimately, it doesn't really matter what he said. You know, when when uh, business attacks are done or anyone else, uh, you know, on the on the marginally center left or further uh, for being anti-business, it's not because they actually really care. You know, it's it's a, they they want to defeat them. They they want them to lose power, and so they will say things like, oh, you know, well, this is this is reflective of the anti-business attitude that this government or this party uh, embodies, you know, because ultimately they want to, that's when they will jump on because none of this stuff is sincere. Uh, it's all about how do you play whatever's happening to your particular advantage. I feel like it's been going even further in, in this instance because you have Luxon going and doing um, this whatever junket, um, it's incredibly lightweight, uh, going, going out to find shitty ideas, um, to show that he's doing something that he's, he's get. it's the beginning of his narrative that he's building new policy for a, like a forward looking New Zealand. Right. Uh, and you've got the media just absolutely buying into it. He's not being challenged on this at all. Uh, meanwhile, you have Ardern going through 
her first diplomatic visits in two years uh, through all our major allies, securing crazy things, things that like even under John Key, who was probably our second most successful prime minister um, in, in modern times, uh, just couldn't manage to nail down. Um, what, how, how is that being reported on? Oh, uh, she's, she's more interested uh, in international jobs. She's not interested in New Zealand. Um, she, she was on RNZ. As, as if John Key, as if John Key was not, John Key, who every time he went to DC, he was giddily uh, yeah. running up to Obama and, you know, glad handing everyone possible he could. And of course, what he did afterwards, it's exactly what he did. He went around the world and just got a bunch of, got on a bunch of boards for some pretty shady companies in some cases. Uh, and uh, yeah, made himself a nice little killing after that. Yeah, absurd, absurd. And just this week was on RNZ with Susie Ferguson, who I who I think is a good broadcaster, and like I, I like uh, when interviewers go hard on politicians. But was asked multiple times, uh, "How do you feel about being more popular overseas than in New Zealand?" Like really grilled about that, and it's just like, what what are you talking about? Like why why is that the angle when even if Key was, and you know, this is a long, this is an immediate environment where the majority of our media has been watching Ardern's like what she's wearing, um, you know, rather than like the constant um, diplomatic uh, efforts she's been making. You know, oh, she's wearing something that's similar to uh, Kate Middleton or whatever, and compare it like even to to John Key again. Um, because it's probably the, the clearest example, where when he was over doing like, economic diplomacy, was just being called like, oh, he's back in his element. Um, he's, he's working working those deals. He's getting New Zealand uh, all the bargains. I just, I'm, I'm really struggling with the, the utter disconnect uh, for media here around that. Like it, most people are looking at you don't even have to be a Labour voter. I are looking at this and saying, hey, that's good for me. That's good for me. That's good for me. Like most exporters are going, wow, okay, cool. Tariff-free on all this stuff. Um, and the media is focusing incredibly narrowly uh, on just the most bizarre shit. I, I don't know what is happening in our newsrooms. I mean, I think part of it is is ridiculous, but I think the, the, the media, out of a sense of wanting to be balanced, will kind of, you know, they, they really did give Ardern um, broadly, I'd say big picture, uh, pretty favorable treatment for many years. And now they're sort of trying to do the same, I guess, for Luxon. He's garbage. Um, he's, of course he he's is. so he, bad. But he's, no, no, I, I agree, but he's he appears more competent and kind of normal than... Both probably more normal than Collins, more competent than uh, than uh, I, I forgot his name, Muller. Yeah, Muller. But I mean, uh, more competent was it was entirely based on the media coverage. Yes. Yeah. So it, it's and not that Muller, he appears yeah, one way or another. It's just like who he has a, well, yeah, a yeah. relationship with. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean it is. It, it's it's all kind of surface level stuff. I mean it's it's so you know the 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 media like to choose favorites, I think, for, and, and switch around. You know, from time to time. Um, and then part of it is also, you know, there's a, the, the, the narrative, and I think, you know, this is not necessarily a conscious thing, but it is something that exists, which is there's always the assumption that, you know, when, when Labour or Liberal, 
left-wing government is in power, they're the big spenders. They're not the financial uh, managers. They're kind of the, the ones who do all the nice... Uh, in New Zealand, we have this horrible term, you know, the uh, give away the lollies, as if, like, you know, providing healthcare for people is some sort of... Oh, like, yeah, yeah. It's delicious a delicious little sweet treat. It's a policy lolly scramble. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah, it's the, it's the lefty governments that do the lollies, and and do all the the kind of nice frivolous stuff that's just that's the kind of implication of this and then it's it's the uh uh right-wing governments that are kind of the cold hard uh fiscal managers who you know ruthlessly will just get right the ship as it is that's of course not true i mean ruthlessly take uh, away your rights yeah well also i mean it's even on that basis it's not true i mean you know helen clark similarly i think got that reputation even though she signed a trade deal in china even though uh, under with Michael Cullen at the helm, they they uh, topped up the the super fund uh, by some large amount, and which actually key ended up depleting. Um, so you know, there, there's all sorts of stuff like that. It's not really. I mean, it's the same. You know, in the in the US, of course, uh, uh, Democrats have kind of gone above and beyond to try and prove that they look. We care about the deficit. Look, we're going to do austerity and, and pay down the debt. Whereas the Republicans are just profligate spenders um but the narrative is the exact opposite and and that's i think a common thing throughout the at least the western world that that uh the public the media tend to kind of see to have these just very simplistic lines by which they tell uh the story which aren't least, based in reality look at these parties no absolutely not not at all um, and but i think that's part of it's subconscious i think it's a subconscious thing i think to, to an extent yeah, partly. Yeah, um, I don't want to give them. I don't want to totally let them off the hook, but because you know, this is like, oh, we need a horse race. We need we need to give some level of balance. But by doing that, by by taking the stuff at face value, by allowing them to push these narratives which go against you know history and reality, you're allowing them to never get better at what they do. And yeah, it's just it's incredibly frustrating to watch. Um, look, if the media seriously want. Uh, a strong conservative centrist government, they need to start doing their fucking jobs and calling them out when they're, do- when they're doing it badly. Because otherwise you just, you, you eventually just get a GOP, right? Like that mm-hmm. is the end result because they know they can just go further and further off the cliff uh, and the media will just travel with them. They're, they're, they're chained at the ankle. Um, oh, well, well, look, if we can become more extremist, may, we may as well, because that's what's going to, really allow us to to build a an activated base but moving on um Ardern is um i think in her last uh part of the diplomatic um round she's in australia uh getting more historical gains for for new zealanders um with the Australian government agreeing to look at New Zealand citizenship tracks and the 501s. Um, so 501s are the people, it's a horrible term uh, that is, is used in New Zealand media to describe people who are in the Australian um, incarceration system uh, who were born in New Zealand or were New Zealand citizens but have lived in Australia for most of their lives who have then just shipped over here as because they uh, have have been arrested or I think maybe sometimes not even charged. Um, they're just deported. They're, they're deported as, as criminals um, to New Zealand where they have no family, no roots, no links to the community. Um, 
And it's just been, it's been an ongoing problem. For, for yeah, which, by the way, is exactly the kind of thing that when we look at the United States, we, we sort of shake our heads and tut tut and go, isn't that awful? How, how could a country do that? And yet there is a version of it in our very backyard that, that we do, or at least that, that a, a close friend of ours does. What is your take on, you know, we've got a Labour government in both countries at the moment. Um, a lot of the stuff was just impossible to, to do anything with while Morrison um, was at the helm in Australia. Um, is this a, a real chance for the next 12 months only, uh, provided <laughs> Labour get kicked out in 2023? Um, or I'll say the, the next 12 months at least to make some real gains in the Australian-New Zealand relationship? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. It seems like the two are kind of on the same wavelength, obviously politically, but, but um, you know, they seem to have a good rapport. So uh, certainly... That's the way the Prime Minister made it seem uh, with some of her rhetoric. So, yeah, I, I hope so. I mean, you know, I, I wish that there was uh, more. My my personal kind of dream is that the cooperation with Australia uh, goes beyond merely kind of uh, uh, closer security ties, you know, and aligning ourselves, um, you know, with, with one kind of block of the world. Uh, I don't obviously... It does go well beyond that. We we partner with uh, uh, Australia, a whole host of things. But you know, it's, uh, it, annoyingly, in, in some of the big picture stuff, I feel like uh, it often ends up being that um, that, that 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 that's where the, the interests are converged. So hopefully, you know, there's there's we can make some sort of groundwork on, on climate change and biodiversity. I mean, uh, you know, that's uh, those are crucial things for both Australia and New Zealand um, yep. that were never going to happen under a right-wing government. Um, and know, James Shaw has been talking with with their minister over there um, and they have signaled that they're wanting to work together on that, which is fantastic. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, so we'll see. Um, you know, and I will, uh, this is a bit of a, a love fest, this episode for the Prime Minister, uh, which is not uh, common at one of 200. And not intentional, I want to say. I, no, no, no. Well, only in listen, comparison to to our Conservative Well, listen, I mean, party. you know, when, when something's right, it's right. When something's wrong, it's wrong. Uh, I think, unfortunately, a lot of the stuff that the Labour government has done has not been good. And we're not just going to not, we're not just going to pretend that that's not the case just because uh, there's some false... Uh, sense of uh, well, balance or, or something, you know, uh, we're going to call it out when we see it. But, uh, you yeah, know, I, I think in this case, there has been good stuff. I, I liked some of her rhetoric, um, you know, uh, relating to global events. I, I feel it's, um, you know, when I look at some of the stuff that David Seymour from ACT says, when I see what some of the, some of the, the, the things that national officials, uh, national MPs say, um, uh, about, you know, uh, New Zealand foreign policy, I cringe and I, you know, it makes me very nervous to have any of those people anywhere near, uh, uh decision-making, uh, positions, but, uh, you know, Ardern was saying, look, we need to not look at things as, as being black and white. I mean, she, she kind of said some of these things at the, the NATO summit as well, but she reiterated that the world is a very complex place. That, you know, we shouldn't look at this this war in Ukraine as simply a battle but, uh, between democracy and autocracy. I, I agree with that. I think it's a very simplistic way to look at what's going on. It's It doesn't mean that that we can't say what's right and wrong. We easily can here. It's, it's very obvious what's right and wrong. The, the, the war is wrong. But, you know, to frame it in these kinds of um, George Bushian kind of terms, uh, I think is not good. You know, and, and she was saying what I think is one of the core 
principles of New Zealand foreign policy, uh, that the, this war should not be an occasion for nuclear, nuclear proliferation to, to get worse, um, which I, I think is completely true. I think, unfortunately, I, I, uh, I think this is actually only going to add to um, various states' desires to arm themselves with nuclear weapons because, you know, Ukraine gave up its nukes back in the 90s in, in an agreement with Russia. Russia has now broken that agreement. Um, this is now the latest of a number of states that gave up their weapons of mass destruction only to be then um, trampled by a larger power. Thinking specifically here of Libya and Iraq, we can name others, compared to, you know, say North Korea, which still has its weapons um, and gets treated with relative caution, um, you know, even as it is having its economy strangled by sanctions. So, you know, it's, there's a very grim lesson here, unfortunately, for a lot of states. Um, including Iran right now. Um, so I do think, you know, that is a, that is a risk, um, you know, uh, but nonetheless, I think it's good that the, that the prime minister was kind of making that point. Because uh, again, I think it's better that we, 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 we make these points about the war rather than buying into this kind of narrative of um, this kind of civilizational narrative that, that is being pushed from think tanks in DC, basically. Yeah. Even, if, even if just rhetorically, right. Um, because as we know, um, and I guess like if we're going to say, hey, we like the language there, um, despite that New Zealand has been pulling closer uh, to, to Western uh, military and security goals. Um, so while it is gratifying to hear the, the leader of New Zealand say, saying she doesn't want to see the Pacific become a theater of, a military theater or, or be treated in that way, some of the different agreements made in the last six months or like almost spit in the face of that. And, you know, small country, independent foreign policy, yada, yada, yada. Um, one of the few things she can do is use that rhetoric on the world stage. Uh, and again, it's better than saying, oh, we should just kill them all. Um, yes, uh, we want more military bases um, from the US and the Pacific, uh, pop them up in my backyard. But actions do speak louder than words. Uh, and I think we're getting a little less of uh, the necessary analysis and coverage um, of some of that stuff. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a really important thing to reiterate. Uh, very nice things she said. I agree with uh, many of them, if not most of them. Uh, but of course, yeah, in practice, New Zealand has been and, and is kind of deepening its relationship in practice. There's the, the, the Partners in Pacific Blue Agreement that New Zealand is party to, which isn't a military alliance, but sort of laying the groundwork for some sort of, it's, it's the US, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, and it's supposed to lay the ground for some sort of kind of um, block here in the Pacific, which I think is, uh, I said why, if you wanna hear my, my, my spiel about why I think that's a dangerous thing, you can go listen to the last episode. I actually think it's, uh, it's still relevant to what's going on now, but um, yeah, I think it's a dangerous thing. I will also note, interestingly, um, the Prime Minister kind of backtracked a little on her stance towards the Solomon Islands uh, uh, China security uh, cooperation agreement, uh, where, you know, she was saying, I mean, initially when this was announced, New Zealand really jumped on the, the bandwagon with, you know, Australia and the US and, and, pretty forcefully condemned it. I mean, used some pretty choice words, which the uh, Chinese leadership was not very happy with. Uh, and she has kind of now, I think realizing, to be honest, I think realizing the kind of gross hypocrisy involved in this and sort of saying, 
on the one hand, you know, uh, the, the, uh, whether Ukraine joins NATO or not is completely up, up to Ukraine and no, no country has the right to kind of dictate another country's choices. Then on the other hand, we're over here, we're saying you can't even, you know, have security uh, assistance from China because that's uh, 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 not on basically in, in our neck of the woods. Obviously a huge double standard there. So she kind of walked back, back, that back a little bit, said, you know, look, all countries have uh, the right to, to enter into whatever uh, security agreements and, and the like that, that they want. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. That kind of stuck out to me. Um, yeah. I think. Uh, and it was a nod towards you know, China, right? Yes, definitely. And, and perhaps, uh, you know, Jeffrey Miller wrote a piece um, that was in a democracy project. I think it was republished in, in a few other places. And he sort of suggested some of this more conciliatory language of the past week or so, maybe Aden thinking, okay, well, maybe maybe I'm going a little too, if nothing else, overtly, uh, you know, into the into the kind of US sphere, uh, and I need to kind of back up a little bit and and at the very very least signal that we still intend to follow a independent foreign policy. Um, now, whether that ends up being true in practice is another thing, well, this but, is, but it seems like there's at least that pressure on that. Yeah, and, and I think that's like being New Zealand's way forward, right? Uh, for forever, uh, which is just to couch and couch and couch and couch um, and not really piss anyone off. Well, yeah, which isn't, I'll just say, which isn't uh, the worst strategy for a small state basically caught up between two larger yeah. powers uh caught up in a bit of a power struggle i mean it's unfortunate that's happening and it's not easy to navigate but it you know uh i think i pretty sincerely and, and concernedly think that that rather than siding with one or the other we should you know we really should maintain the independent foreign policy um make the fact that both of these countries to some extent need us or desire us to be in a corner to make that work for us that's a smarter i think foreign policy than kind of yeah you know, putting our chips in with, with either one. Well, I think that basically brings us to the end of the episode. Yeah, just a lot a lot happening at the moment. Um, <laughs> Ardern will be returning to New Zealand soon, uh, so we'll see what that uh, brings us in the next couple of weeks. We'll be back with more current events uh, and analysis next weekend. If you've enjoyed it, uh, share it around. Please, uh, please share it around. Uh, get it in front of as many people as possible. We're just not, we do not have the necessary analysis of our politics here in, in the mainstream media at the moment, um, especially from a progressive viewpoint. So if you think that's important, uh, let people know we exist. Um, if you have people complaining uh, about the way that uh, national and labor and minor parties are, are being covered. Tell them that one of 200 is out there trying to make some of that work a bit better. Uh, there's a Patreon link in the summary that you can click if you, you want to support us financially. Uh, we are always very appreciative of that. Keep at it. Uh, organize in your workplaces. Uh, do some activism. We'll catch you in a week. Relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams Is the lie aspirational Will you die keeping your glass half full? The relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams Is the lie aspirational
keeping your glass half full You don't hate your nation, you hate nationalism You don't hate your nation, you hate nationalism No, you don't hate Mondays, you hate capitalism Oh, you don't hate 